0: With a history dating back to 1981, it's been a rollercoaster ride for Aquinas old collegians. Before they were proud members of the waFA the Bloods spent their first six seasons in the Eastern Suburbs Churches Football Association, tasting premiership success twice throughout their formative years. Perhaps though, their debut season in the Amos was their greatest, as they once again reached the lofty heights of premiership glory when they held on by the smallest of margins against Whitefriars in 1987. While the mid-90s brought about back-to-back grand final appearances that amazingly included one draw, one loss and one victory, the club has endured multiple relegations, heartbreaking finals losses, personnel changes and a 21-year premiership drought before standing on the dais once again in 2017. The Mighty Bloods from Ringwood are a proud club and on the eve of their 40th anniversary are proving their May of the right stuff as they continue their climb back up the sections. Hi everyone and welcome to another edition of the Club in Focus podcast, all thanks to mequacare been around since 1959, a proud partner of the VAFA and it is with great pleasure we can look at the Aquinas Old Collegians Footy Club, a club that started back in 1981, didn't join the VAFA until 1987, I'll tell you all about that. In a moment, my name's Joe Pignataro, looking forward to bringing you this edition. And of course, I don't do these editions without the help and support of the great man, the voice of the Amos, the best looking man of the Amos. He's now added to the notes that the beard is going strong. His name is Nick Armistead, and from his Richmond penthouse, he joins us now. Hello, Nick. I think it says patchy, not quite strong, but I'm very well, Joseph. I was very excited about
1: um, this podcast Um, when Jack McDonald approached us and he's been fantastic in the background, helping us organize all these guests. And we started researching Aquinas and they've got a great history, but it started to wane. I'm not going to, I'm not going to lie because I've realized, Joey, that we're dealing with clean skins and I'm not happy about it. There's only three reasons that I do these podcasts Because it's my job, first and foremost. Yes, I do enjoy doing them alongside you and seeing your smiling face each week. But number three, yes, I really enjoy digging up dirt on club misdemeanors and misdealings from years gone by. I know. You I don't. like holding these clubs to account, Joey, for their actions. <laughs> it's basically why I wake up in the morning. <laughs> like I still smile when thinking about the rumors of old Paradians Godfather Lou Arthur leaving paper bags of money in the trash bins at his trucking depot. And I love questioning West Brunswick about the halftime brawl of the game that they weren't even a part of. I mean, the Ormond-Piegate saga oh. was a classic, but my favourite was clearly our last one with Old Ivanhoe yes. and their betting scandal with the coaching staff
0: can't believe now, it
1: Joseph after searching far and wide through the archives i found <laughs> i've finally found something on Aquinas and it's so piddly that i'm embarrassed to even say it oh, but you know what as i said it's my job and i will and on monday june 7 2004 the vafa conducted a compulsory meeting of club secretaries as part of the vafa's partnership arrangement with football victoria Now, clubs who didn't attend, they were fined for not attending, obviously, by the VAFA, and they were publicly ousted in the editorial by Phil Stevens. Now, Aquinas were one of these clubs. They just decided their club secretary is not going to show up, and they were fined and they were publicly ousted, but it wasn't even like it was Aquinas by themselves or Aquinas amongst five clubs that didn't turn up. There were 29 (laughs) other clubs (laughs) who did not turn up on this day. (laughs) <laughs> this is what I'm saying. It's absolutely embarrassing. We've searched far and wide for a mr and missed dealing, and this is all I could find. So I'm just praying, Joseph, that today, with the five fantastic interviews that we have lined up, that we can find some gold amongst at least one of them.
0: Well, let me tell you who we're going to chat to, and then I'll, I'll rebut what you just said. We're going to chat to Sean O'Loughlin, who has been around the footy club since day one. His father, John, was a co-founder of the club. He's had five of his six brothers play for the club. It is real family ties with Sean O'Loughlin. Andy Whelan is one of only two people to have played in the club's first four senior flags, 83 and 84, in uh, a different competition altogether, which he'll tell us about, and then in the AMOs in 87 and 96. Peter Wright, of course, part of the Wright brothers, not the ones that created aircraft, but a legend of Aquinas. He's going to join us, the current coach, Ash Nolte, to talk about the dominance of the last few years and Taylor Leslie, the inaugural captain of of the women's side that is our rundown of guests today so what you're saying though is you don't really want to be here because Aquinas are clean skins and you don't like it you don't enjoy it uh, because you think the concept of this podcast is to disgrace all of our footy clubs and hold them accountable and you don't want to achieve that today because you've got nothing on them is that what you're saying
1: I just like looking back and really having a laugh at some ill dealings from years gone by. And I just don't think so. On paper, Aquinas are clean skins, but I just think there's no chance in hell that they are that clean. I think we're totally going to uncover something today.
0: Well, I hope we do because otherwise you're going to be pretty flat. I mean, when, I, when you messaged me earlier in the week, this was your quote-unquote response. <laughs> I reckon they're just good at hiding things because nobody is that perfect. I said, no, nah, I trust them. I trust the boys from Ringwood, and girls for that matter, from Ringwood, the Bloods. Because when you've got a nickname like the Bloods, that means you you follow the Sydney culture, the Sydney Swans, the Bloods, the trustworthy old team from South Melbourne, the Swans. And they've got their own Swan story, Nico, the Bloods, which I cannot wait to talk about a bit later on. Now, we remember, famously, Leo Barry. Took the greatest mark in grand final history because I say that, so no one talks about Alex Jezelenko in 1970 against Collingwood. Uh, but Leo Barry won the flag for the Swans in 2005 with the mark. In 1987, in the dying moments, Terry Jones in the back pocket did the exact same thing 18 years before Leo Barry, and he is their version of Leo Barry. So that's what I'm looking forward to most of this podcast, is finding out about that particular play and how they hung on by one point in that grand final. For yourself, before you tell me what happened in 1981, that inaugural year, is there one thing that you're hanging out to discuss throughout this podcast with Aquinas? Oh, there's many things. As we
1: said, those guests are going to be fantastic, but particularly one player I want to get a little bit of background on is Marchi Tarulli. He's a seven-time Best and Fairest player for Aquinas. He won his first. He basically had a monopoly on the Best and Fairest Award in the nineties because he won his first. In '88, and his last in 2000, so 12, oh, 13 <laughs> seasons apart. And I do have it on good authority. He even played more in more recent years, about 30 years after his debut, just when they were a bit lower numbers. So mm-hmm. absolutely outstanding effort, and I look forward to delving into Marchie's career.
0: Right before we do that, and we talk to our fantastic plethora of guests, you have to do what you've done <laughs> for the last few weeks and tell me what happened in 1981. Now, before you start, I'll stop now and say, yes, Collingwood lost the grand final in 1981. It was their third straight grand final loss. But please don't tell me that's the only thing you could find from 1981. I definitely do have it highlighted.
1: There's oh. no, I'm not going to lie about that. <laughs> but in 1981, Joseph, so Aquinas is actually the youngest club that we've done in the Clubs in Focus yes, podcast so far next year, celebrating their 40th year anniversary. But when they came in, When they were formed back in 1981, before they went into the Church's Football Association, Lady Diana married Charles, the Prince of Wales, for our royal fans out there. Now, this is a real belter, (laughs) really interesting, this one. Um, The term internet was first mentioned. (laughs) This is some real gold that we got from 1981. Indiana Jones and the Raiders of the Lost Ark was released. Now, this one I know that you'll be a big fan of, but Britney Spears and Justin Timberlake were both born. Trevor Chappell on a home front, Baldy's infamous underarm uh, delivery. Uh, yes. And the final one, yes, it's already been said, but I think feel like it needs to be
0: repeated. Collingwood lost yet another grand final to Carlton. It's a disgrace. You're a disgrace. Bloody hell. You did, why didn't you mention the sin bin was introduced in rugby league? Because you wanted to put Collingwood. could have you... been. There was plenty I could have said, but I thought the term internet being used for the first time
1: was an absolute (laughs) walkout.
0: Big podcast. We're not going to talk about the 81 grand final from a VFL perspective. I'm just shattered. I wasn't even born and I'm still shattered. But, Nico, we need to talk to our guests. And the first one on the list is Sean O'Loughlin, and he is about to join us. Well, Nick, let's dive right into it. We are talking all things Aquinas today. The Bloods, the green, the red and the black. And one man whose family name has been there since day one back in 1981 is Sean O'Loughlin. His father, John, was a club co-founder. He's had five of his six brothers play for the club as well as a daughter, four nephews and two nieces. He is the unofficial or maybe the official club historian and we have the great privilege of chatting with him today. Hello, Sean. How are
2: you, Nick? How are you, Joe?
0: We couldn't be better, to be perfectly honest. Uh, With everything going on in the world, when we get to do these podcasts, they're a nice little escape for us and for the fans of all the footy clubs, Sean. Now, how are you going and uh, how is the Aquinas Footy Club going in the last few months?
2: Well, I'm going well, but... uh yeah, no, the Footy Club stands should be going all well, as well as it can be expected. But like everyone else involved in, in all walks of life, particularly in sport, we're disappointed that the season was cancelled. Um, but I mean it's only it's only sport, it's not your job or things like that. A good point you make, Sean. We'll ask you about the,
0: the modern day in a moment. I wanna go back thirty nine years ago to nineteen eighty one. Uh, As I mentioned, your father was a a club co-founder and you've been around since day one. Can you take us back to the early discussions about how this club came to be?
2: Look, it started with uh, my dad and like-minded men um, from the community. I mean, it it was based around a Catholic regional college, Aquinas, in Ringwood. And um, I I can remember the initial first meetings and that, and they formed a bit of a committee, and my dad, was uh, John, was... uh, Vice President, and then I remember we all went out. We must have got some lists of uh, people from the school and from the local parish priest. And uh, a few nights for a week, we went out each night and, like, with a uh, with someone of my father's vintage and then a, a, a player. So we went and visited uh, the neighbours and people from the school and from the parish and asked for forty dollars debentures. I couldn't tell you what the success rate was, but we eventually got our target, whatever it was, where people gave us $40 for a debenture. And I think in 39 years, only one of those debentures has ever been cashed in. Only one person asked for their $40 back. And that was that was a deceased estate where a lawyer was uh, executor and uh he had to cross all the eyes and dot all the t's. <laughs> so that's that's was initially how we uh, funded the club. Now
0: we read that um, on the eighteenth of February, nineteen eighty-one, uh, there was a meeting at the Ringwood Parish Hall, and you decided to enter the Footy Club in the Eastern Suburb Churches Football Association, and you were there for six years, and there was a little bit of success throughout that time. What was it like playing in that division? Uh, I think you started out in is it F grade of their competition back yeah. then?
2: Yeah. Look, it was really weird because on any any game, the so if your seniors were drawn to play at home, you played at home and the reserves played away. Like if you're in the twos, you never got to see the ones play. And Vicky Verka, like there was no such thing as double headers and that. So it was it was really weird. All the games were at two o'clock on a Saturday afternoon, and I know for us, like I weren't that good a player, Joey, so. I was more a twos player than a one's player. And um, so many games were down, like we are in Ringwood, were down um, in the sand belt, down like Mentone way down. That, that seemed to be where we were playing, down yeah, around that. that way a lot. So every second week you were driving down there. Always in at the Matthew Flinders on the way back for uh, some surprise. Oh. So.
0: <laughs>
2: Don't mind the sound
1: of that, Sean. Now, I do want to ask, as Joey said, you did have some success in – 82 in the Reserves, 83, 84 in the Seniors and then after six years you made the move to the Amos. What were the discussions that went on, I guess the reasons that you came across to the VAPA?
2: I think the initial reason was that we saw that it was a little limited, the, um, the ongoing thing of the churches. It was an extremely rough comp. Maybe we, we thought that the Amateurs was a better way to go. We didn't want to get into pain plays. There was some little bits of paying players back there in the churches, like in any suburban league. And we didn't want to get like the administration were, get against that. So we explored the amateurs and, um, we're fortunate enough to, uh, to be accepted into them. And, um, I think that was eighty-seven. We went in. I think we won the flag the first year. You um, you one it, of wasn't a bad move. You exactly. You're one of
0: many clubs it seems, Sean, that when you join the Amos, you win the flag in your first year. So, uh, you joined that illustrious group. When when you came across to the Amos, and from all the discussions we've had, reserves and seniors play at the same ground and one games before the other. What happened to the club when you got that opportunity to play at the same ground as your senior side?
2: It was always almost two clubs because it was very much a ones group and a twos group in the churches because you just, there wasn't as much um, swapping over and things like that. It was only through injury if you were promoted or new blokes came and they were good enough to go up type thing. So it uh, very much gelled the whole group into a friendship mm. type thing. there was also our geography, like we're smack in the middle of the um well, it was the Eastern Districts Land, and now it's just the Eastern Football League. So being in the amateurs and that, it gelled it together. The other thing about it was, here there was a lot of trouble. A lot of travel started to be involved as well.
1: Now, Sean, I do need to ask you um, about 1995. Um, it's, been, it's been a great positive conversation right now, but unfortunately in 1995 you had the drawn grand final, against St. Leo's Wattle Park, and then you came back out, unfortunately, the next week and lost. What are your memories, I suppose, of um, playing well, my in the
2: game? my personal memories aren't good. I, uh, I actually played in the replay. Um, it was the only final I uh, was fortunate enough to play in the ones. I remember Clark was playing at centre-half back, and after half-time, Clark had kicked about four on me, and that was all she wrote. So it wasn't a pleasant uh, thing. So the first game, the drawn game, I remember there was a little bit of controversy in that um, we were hanging on, hanging on, and I think it on the full was given as a point. And oh, boy.
0: Tell, tell us more about
2: this. There was no arc or anything like that, and, you know, <laughs> most people that were saying that were 150, <laughs> 150 yards away from where uh, the ball went out of bounds so ball went through for a point. You know, I'm
1: not sure the arc is much better these days, anyway, <laughs> Sean. To be perfectly I'm honest, I'm absolutely.
2: I'm absolutely. Can, we could spend, uh, what 40 million, uh, holidaying in, um, on the Gold Coast, but we can't spend money on decent uh, digital cameras on around the ground. <laughs>
1: oh, we could totally yeah, no, take no, this no, conversation it the conversation another direction for hours. Let me assure <laughs> you, Sean. Let's go to 1996, then 12 months later. You are back, you were captain coach of the reserves and you tasted that ultimate success.
2: Yes, yeah, yes, yeah, that was good. Yeah, no, we had a lovely year that yeah, we had. We were very good side. There was a lot of um, ups and downs. The ones coach, Brett Davison, liked um, blooding both twos into the ones and that by the time we just, the seconds got to the the finals, we uh, you know we had a lot of ex- ones experienced guys in that team. But it was a great year uh, that year. Two flags, always a nice way to go.
0: I noted at the start of the chat with you, five of your six brothers have played for the club. Did you get opportunities to play alongside your
2: brothers in the same team? I played with, um, there's 20 years difference, or 18 years difference between the youngest and me So my two youngest brothers I didn't play with. Um, me and my um, next down brother, Damien, he played, we, we would have played a hundred games together. So I, pl- I, played about 240 and he played about 120. So we played a hundred and games together. They actually, uh, call us the cracker brothers in the two. So <laughs> fantastic. <laughs> That's nothing to do with ability. Oh. <laughs> it's, it's just, be- it's just because since you at you know, there's only like 18 months or 20 months between us and, um, so you just know what he's going to do when he gets a ball and vice versa type thing. So it's much easier to find a sibling because you're so used to playing with him. Every time you get it, you kick it to him. Well, I know where he's going. <laughs> <so.">
3: <laughs>
0: Don't tell me the coach gave you a spray for trying to kick it to your own brother.
2: I <laughs> know, oh, but well, well, footy clubs they, you, you only hang shit on people you like. So you know, <laughs> footy clubs—it's all about hanging shit.
0: So. Yes, yes. And what was it like when you watched your daughter run out for the first time? Sean in the same colours as you.
2: No, no, no. It was very. Um, it was from I've only got daughters, so I've got three daughters. Um, it was very special No, I was, wrapped because that brother I was just talking about—he's got two boys that play and. Jack's my nephew, so him and his brother play and, you know, no, it was fantastic. It was really good and she was a bit lucky because she's a twin and um, part of my going to the footy was my wife would say, yeah, off you go, go all day, but you're taking them with you. All my girls could kick since they were little kids because they went to the footy every Saturday.
1: Just last one from me because um, obviously as the official club historian, I just want to ask about one player in particular from over the years that we've come across in our research, and that's Marci Tarulli, seven-time best and fairest player. Um, his first in 1988 and his last in 2000. What can you tell us about Marci and the way he went about it? Um,
2: 317 games, could play a bit. Um, <laughs> he was the first player I ever saw. This was before the Geelong blokes so He was the first player I ever saw that used to back out of a pack. We played Essendon at our place one day, and Essendon were a good side. They had a guy called Luddersmith, schmidt who I reckon is about the best amateur footballer I played against. And he, they're coming into the, on the ground, they're shouting out, don't let him up, don't let him up, don't let him up. He had just incredible balance. I saw him one day run alongside a guy and the guy went for it. Didn't realise he was there. The guy went to bounce a ball, and Marchie took the ball as it came back to the bloke and ran off. You couldn't get you couldn't get him off his feet. He was phenomenal. He's only only short, a little bit stockier in those days before he got into um, distance running, and um, and could stand on bloke's shoulders. He was very good. He, he walked in one day. He was at the school. He was a teen, like he was still at the school, and he walked in that um, training, because we train at let them play at a college. And, um, oh, do you mind if I uh, train? It was like pre-season. We were having a scratch match, and he sat on the ruckman's head about four times going for market <laughs> contests, and then it was just on for men. He played 317, and, like, the last 15 might have been over the last. Like, he, he played a game two years ago. He never played a game in the twos until he started filling in when he was like, had played 310 type thing. So his first twos game was when he was just filling in when we were pulling him out, people out of retirement.
0: Right. And what about over the journey, Sean, some of the other great Aquinas players that you've seen? And what about some of the great wins you've seen out at uh, the home ground out there in Ringwood?
2: Well, John Ryan, who was our Norgrill captain, and when we played our hunt, the club played his 100th game. He played his 100th game. He won a, uh, He used to play for Parade. He, he played juniors for Parade and then came to us. He was a Aquinas boy. He won a church's comp and he was the only bloke in the history of the churches that pl- from F grade that played in their rep side. He was a very good player. Jason Livingston kicked 100 goals for us a couple of years. He was a fantastic full forward, just, yeah, he was great. And I, I played a few games next to him in the pocket. One day, famously, a ball, and um, we picked, we kicked 17 between us. Oh. Jase kicked, oh. kicked 16, and I oh. kicked one. <laughs> <laughs> but part of my job was just to try to take a guy away from him type thing. He was a good player. Andrew Costa, he kicked 100 two or three games years in a row. This was, about, like, he's my age, so... He, um, he, he was a great player. Vertical leap on him. I remember the first time he kicked 100 in the last game, we were taking marks in the goal square and kicking back to centre half forward to get him over the 100. He kicked uh, 18 in a game, actually, one year. He, he was a, one game, he was a fantastic player. There's Andy Whelan, who played for Marcellin and for the comp a few times. Very good player. Cam Colliver, who was our uh, longest serving Captain won a um, comp best and fairest, played a couple of stoke homes and that. 1,140 players in our history. So we've had 124 brothers and sisters and
1: wow.
2: that play. We've had a dozen, three brothers play, one lot of four. There was Arto Lachlan's and we had a family of eight pl- eight boys play. <laughs> Yeah, the 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 box boys. There was eight boys, and they all played. Our oval was a is a retarding basin for the well. It was a board of works in those days, and you would just get a level of mud where on on the like the heavy side of the ground. It was two actions to kick. The first action was to lift your foot out up out of the ground, out of the mud, <laughs> and swing through it. So most days you'd have a shower at halftime just to wash the mud off and that. I mean, it's much better now as most grounds are. But uh, you can see on the light post, you can see the high water marks on it. And as we but, uh, no, it's been a great club, and it's been a very big part of my life, obviously. And that's what I wanted
0: to finish on with you, Sean. You've been there since day one, and your father's a co-founder. You've got the family ties. Can you sum up at all in a couple of sentences what the Aquinas Old Collegians Footy Club means to you? It's
2: my main source of enjoyment. I've, I, I might have miss 50 games in our history type thing. Um, as I said, I wasn't all that good a footballer, but, you know, I happened to play 240-odd type things. My mates now, since school, my own, really my only mates since then have been um, people i played footy with. Wherever we're playing, I go and watch it. What was the old Cheers line? One of the things, it's lovely where everyone knows your name, you know, where you can walk in, you're comfortable, you're part of the furniture. It's great. And it's football. greatest game in the world. It is. It is. It's a fantastic
0: note to finish on, Sean. It's been an absolute pleasure going back down memory lane with your own playing days and uh, reminiscing about some of the good times through the Aquinas Footy Club. Take care of yourself, and hopefully we're back in 2021. Uh, oh, ringing the they. ovals at Ringwood. Thanks for joining us. Good
2: on you, Joe.
0: Thanks, Nick. Bye. Nick, let's move from one of the co-founders in Sean O'Loughlin of the footy club to another man who was there in the early 80s and had some success with the Aquinas Footy Club. His name is Andy Whelan. He played in a couple of flags while they were playing in the Churches Footy Association. And then in 1987, he was a part of the inaugural side that played in the Waffa And he was part of that premiership side. And he joins us now. Hello, Andy.
4: G'day, Nick, and g'day, Joe. How are you?
0: Very well, thanks. Uh, let's go back, Andy, to the start. Your reasons for joining the Aquinas Footy Club, first of all?
4: Peter Grierson was a really good mate of mine. He was um, he actually um, prompted me to um, go down to Aquinas back in 1983. I, I was involved with Essie Tights, and they folded. So I was looking for a club. Pete was telling me how great... Um, a club it was, and uh, it was just a fantastic entry into the club. It was just it, I, I found the blokes were just absolutely brilliant, and also fact that uh, the fact that in 1982 they lost the flag, so there was a chance that you know we might have a little bit, bit of success as well. So oh yeah, I was just so excited. So um, and then met met the uh, coach John Limbaugh, and no uh, then on it yeah just uh, that's how the journey started
0: so take us back to when you come down and, and we've just spoken to Sean O'Loughlin, who let us in on what the club was like playing in that uh, the churches conference there where reserves weren't playing on the same day as the seniors or they were but at different venues you've also then playing in a competition that's probably not as clean as you'd hope it would be every Saturday <laughs> take us through those Saturdays for you Andy
4: yeah, well, it was really funny because when I first started the first couple of games, um, I didn't even think I'd get a game because we had this awesome side. And um, and even in our seconds, we had this young bloke called Andrew Costa. And we lost our first game, second game in 1983. And he kicked about 25 goals in two games in the seconds. And I'm thinking, how's this bloke not getting a game? And anyway, so he eventually got in the week after and kicked about 10 to go on and kick about 100 and something, 10 goals in the seniors and 20 odd in the reserves. And I thought, now there's something we've got something special here. Plus also the fact that uh you know you know we're obviously playing in that level of footy um and the umpiring wasn't that hot. Uh yeah we had to have hard heads. Um, it was pretty brutal at times out there. But um it, it's funny um you had to have eyes in the back of your head. But you know we had a couple of um enforcers. We had big Michael Van Kirk over was handy, and um yeah it kept a few of them us. But no it was tough. It was tough actually being out there. I always tried to milk a few, uh, not too early, because you know that someone's going to come and start punching the living suitcase out of you. So you just tried to just you know kick 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 a couple first, and just milk a little bit. But so by the time you got the last quarter, didn't know how many you had, and you you stayed pretty safe.
0: Oh, I like it. I like your tactics, Andy. And now before we move on to the time with the Vaffer in 1987, the back-to-back flags. As you mentioned, you you lost in '82 and. When you got down to preseason, was it a spurring factor? Was it the reason and the driving factors that came into '83 and then carried on into '84?
4: Oh, absolutely, yeah, and and also we just, it just, uh, we had a, a wonderful team. I mean, we had um John Ryan, who was a ex um old uh, old Paradian ruckman, and he, I think he he won a uh, he won the competition best and first. And he just was a great leader. It was like our, our big Nick. He was just a, a just a brilliant player. We had the um uh, the rights which were. Wonderful players. The whole club was um, was pretty hell bent, especially in, in 83. 84 was, you know, it was pretty tough too, but because St. Paul's Bentley and us were probably the best two sides. But after that um, initial second semi loss, again, we had to cop a bit of brutality from Noble Park. I always remember this bloke uh, grabbed me by the throat near the boundary line. And he said he did five years in the can and he was going to do another five on me. And I, I and I actually believed him. And uh, I, uh, not that I stayed away from the footy, but I did ask my opponent, was he serious? He says, well, oh, I thought he got he, he did five for murder. And I said, there you go. He was right. <laughs> he wasn't bullcrapping bull me.
1: Andy, I want to fast forward a little bit to 1987. So you've already experienced success in the Church's League. You come over to the VAFA in F grade and... You guys won the flag in 87 against Whitefriars by one point. But before we get into that actual game, I want to go back to the semi-final because you were the raging favourites. You won the minor premiership and then you got belted by Whitefriars by 50 points in that second semi. What happened there?
4: Look, I played because I, I missed the last half because I played in the uh, in the amateur game in um, well, I would have been about um, mid-year. And then I came back against the Whitefriars game. I missed. I tore all at my ankle ligaments. So I missed basically the rest of the year until uh, the, actually, basically the preliminary final. So in the second semi, I, I played in the actual reserves. So I was watching, and we got beaten by Trobe in the reserves because I needed the game under my belt. And I, yeah, Fi was just unbelievable. They, uh, they marked everything. They looked like uh, we were playing an A-grade side. They just tore us to... Tierney was unbelievable. The Coghlan boys, they just tore us to shreds. And uh, I, was, yeah, I was thinking to myself, this is going to be a lot tougher than I thought other than the fact that, you know, I knew the quality of the bloke that we had and all we needed was another crack at the title. And I thought we had, still had a chance, but after watching the second semi, yeah, I was very worried, very, very worried.
1: So how were the nerves then when you're halfway through the fourth quarter of the grand final, you're playing White Fries again, you're up by five goals, and then they just come steaming home and you only hold on by one point? Well, in that
4: game, we lost our center out Chris slider, who had been doing a fantastic job job on bonnieman and he was kept relatively quiet well of course he went off with an ankle injury and of course you know what it like to structure once he went down um yeah Bonnyman went to full forward and then all of a sudden it was like as if it was like Wayne Carey down there he started plucking them from everywhere oh, I'm going, "You can't, can't and I was on by then my ankle was stuffed and I was on the bench and I'm thinking there's not much I can do and I, and we couldn't get it down to that forward line and and it was Terry Jones, the wonderful Terry Jones, who was able to pull off mark of the century in the back pocket, although it did sway that way. Uh, I think Barclay, um, Dean, um, the Barclay uh, coach, his son, was having a shot from about 50, 50 metres and then got a 15-metre a penalty. And he saw him back with the old talk. You know, and we couldn't believe it anyway. I'm watching and he shoot it off the side. Terry takes a, a solid mark. We kick it to the boundary line. Dave feeling makes a cracking um, smother, then he get cops one high, and then the siren rings out, and I'm just going, "Oh well, anyway, we start dancing, jumping all over the <laughs> point. We, uh, we, we, even though it was it put it this way, yeah, the, thank God i I wasn't sixty, uh, Nick and Joe. It was fair. It was quite. It was, the heart couldn't have taken any more. I tell you.
1: Well, we did hear that Terry Jones, first and foremost, took the Leo Barry-type mark before Leo Barry did in the early 2000s. But when you do win, Andy, by one point in a grand final, how do you celebrate that?
4: Oh, uh, Look, you know, it, it, it's, really, um, it, it's really funny because um, it's relief because, you know, when you're in that 20, you know, 30 points up with, you know, 10 minutes to go you think you're, you're home and you start thinking about drinking you start thinking about you know telling everyone great stories about you know our third flag and um and i think that's the problem i think you lose sight of the fact that wife was a, were a bloody good side and you know you only had to give them half a sniff and that's what, what that's, that's what happened it's just a, they just got it on a roll and when you get on a roll you can't give a you, know, you can't give a sucker an even break and they just uh yeah they took it to us but yeah, the celebration was amazing, Nick. Like all grand finals are, uh, no matter how you win them or how you get by them, they're just wonderful experiences. And there's a brotherhood, you know. Once you're playing one, um, you just get this uh, amazing brotherhood with the blokes. And it's the unsung heroes. Because in that grand final, there was, a, you know, Greg Clark, who probably played in our second flags in a couple of the previous, had the, had the game of his life. Um, there was, you know. Um, Stevie Bale, he was terrific. Mark Wilkinson now, he's the best finals player I've ever played with, um, rest his soul. He um he um, again just produced another magnificent game. It was just uh yeah, I mean all the all the gun all the gun players stood up in John Ryan kicked four. Uh, yeah, it was just uh, it was just amazing. And myself playing pretty poorly. Um, in fact I reckon the bloke I was on was gonna get the norm had uh, had I not uh <laughs> Um, had we not won the game, there's
0: no doubt (laughs) about that. Andy, I want to ask you about 96 in a moment, but before that, in 87, uh, earlier on in the podcast, uh, we always try to run through some misdemeanours and some off-field indiscretions or even some on-field indiscretions. We can't seem to find anything of any note on Aquinas. But I did note that in round 18 of that season, you went down to Williamstown, CYMS, and the match report says that the Williamstown players seemed unusually cordial with the umpire suggesting maybe there was a bit of a match fix on Andy, what's going on there? So was, was this in 1987? Yeah, the final round of the home and away season. So you've sewn up top spot, and it's the only loss you've had prior to that semi-final loss. So the week before, you've come out okay. and you're taking on Williamstown, and the match report oh. says these Williamstown players seem to enjoy an unusually cordial relationship <laughs> with the umpire. He was later, in fact, known to be one of their own club officials.
4: <laughs>
0: well, you know... Um
4: not surprising, uh, Nick. I did a bit of umpiring um, in our uh, reserve side, and you know I wasn't partial to the odd decision going our way. So <laughs> all I'll say about that 18-7 <laughs> is that uh, I
1: didn't
4: I didn't play in it, so I can't know whether the umpire was favouring us, but I would assume that. Being a, being a stalwart of, of Aquinas, I probably would have played a couple of their way
0: as well. <laughs> 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 now let's fast forward, Andy, to 1996. Yeah. It's the second yeah. of your senior premierships, and we spoke a bit earlier yeah. to Sean about the heartache and the heartbreak of 1995. You, oh. you draw the grand final and lose the replay, but in 1996 you come out with a barnstorming victory. Take us through that year and everything that went on in the club at that time.
4: Oh, well... You know, we lost um, um, one of our greatest players um, in 1995 um, on the uh, 10th of the 11th yeah um, of November in a tragic accident um mark Nemo wilkinson and he was uh he was just the the greatest or well, one of the greatest obviously one of the greatest players that ever played for us but that gave us if we didn't need any impetus to actually um um, to go on and win um, 1996, so and that, 96. That was defining um, in, 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 in that day alone. But I, I came back in 95 for a bit of a cameo because um, uh, Livo, in case he fell over, Big Jake Livo was just a wonderful player. So I didn't expect to come back in 96 and I, I got a phone call again um, late in the year. <laughs> I only played about three or four of the, the home and away games. To come back and play in that 96 flag as I did probably the year before so I the whole year aside I didn't ever did a pre-season so how that year went I was missing a lot of it so it was the boys were definitely I know that for a fact that when I did come back that there was no way knowing we were going to lose that 1996 grand final I can I know we lost the second semi but we were galvanized to win that game no matter what um not only for the club um it was, it was a bit of a drought. It was 87, um, like I said, nine nine years. And there was just, um, you know, there was me and Shane Levisto, Shane Livingston, who, uh, who was a 300-game champion, um, three-time Premiership player at the time, became a four-time Premiership player. He was the one um, that, you know, that, that dearly resolved that these champions, you know, and then you, you add to that Andrew Coltrera, which was an absolute we're well, blessed to have this young boy. He played his first, uh, not many games, because he was under 19. Came in in the grand final six four, and of course we know Andy Colquhoun's career being a, a triple A grade leading goal kicker. He was just a wonderful player, So we had we had a lot of things going for us. Um, and of course, in saying that about Andy too, he had his jaw broken in the second quarter. So. Uh, that just goes to show what a what a and he and he played on as well and yeah that's 96 year uh, Nick and Joe it was just uh, yeah it was just it was it was there to be won for a lot of reasons.
0: Sounds like it, Andy. You mentioned your great mate Mark Wilkinson. Now we noted a bit earlier on that. Um through some reports about his ability on the field. And you had the great privilege, of course, of playing with him at Aquinas, but also representing the Big V on a few occasions with Mark as one of your teammates there. What was that like for the two of you to play with the Big V? I
4: always remember when we, because um, we, we had a couple of scratch matches, and uh, I remember Andy Lankford jones saying to me, um, this Wilkinson, he, he, what's he like? And I said, mate, if you ever want a, ga- a, 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 a man in a big occasion and in a big moments, I've never met anyone like him. He was our, he was our Wayne, Wayne Johnson. He just he, The big games, he came to play. He, sometimes during the year, he'd wander off and he didn't know, he, never could drop back to the twos. And he'd come back and, and when the big game was on, he'd kick five, he'd kick six. He, just, he was just one of those, when switched on, unstoppable. And it was a bit like that. He wanted to make the big V side and it was just the most... We had a Well, I mean, it was a great win, but having us go across representing Aquinas together yeah, it was great, mate. Um, yeah, it was just uh, yeah, it was definitely one one of my greatest highlights. Uh, and you know he uh, he was so proud. He just he, I mean I, I remember just being so proud. And you know when I got to meet um, Nama passed away, in of course in '95, and he, his wife Danielle was pregnant with their young son Tom, so Nama never got to meet him. And um, I, um, my fortunate enough for me having Liam um, meet Tom. When Coburg were playing North Melbourne last year, it was just one of the highlights for me as well. Seeing uh, Mark Junior uh, or Tom, Tom. Well, it was Mark Junior originally, and then Tom. Um, yeah, it was just that, that's, a, that's 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 uh, another great um, yeah, highlight for me. Just uh, see Liam and and Tom together because um Mark never got that privilege to see what a wonderful fine um young man his son ended up
1: being. That's an amazing story there, Andy. I do want to ask you another question just about Liam because prior to 2017, you held the record for most goals in one game at Aquinas when you went out there and belted 10 one week until 2017 in round 10, I think it was maybe, um, against St. Francis Xavier and your son Liam went out and put through 10 of his own. How good was that? It was was
4: exciting, but it was it was really funny because his first game he, he left East Brinkwood and he um, he came down to a corners and the first time we were playing on Mount Lilydale they played in the finals the uh the year before. A few of the boys were saying to me first day in your game, Oh, how do you think how did it go? I said, Oh, he's a couple. I'd be really happy, you know, I don't want to keep him you know I you know, I don't put too much pressure on him. You know, I'm a proud dad as usual. <laughs> well, um one of the one of his cousins came up to me at quarter time and said, uh you know, Liam's got six. This is a quarter time. And I said to him, um, I said to him, uh, I think my record's going to get broken. (laughs) Well, thank God, they actually put about three on him and and then I said, no, he'll he'll break it. And that that was about three weeks later. Yeah, I knew he was going to, I knew with the quality of ball that was coming in and the amount of inside 50s we were getting that, uh, you know, there's not too many six for five sitting in Colesquiz in that division. So, no, it uh, it was Nick and Joe, yeah, one of the, definitely one of the highlights. Although, he did tell me that he did kick 11 goals. He did kick an extra goal. But Dave Whitehead, who was a, one of – his son, Glenn, was a champion player for us. He was our goal umpire for about you know, 250, 300 games. And Liam said he definitely kicked a goal. And Dave Whitehead said, look, mate, I couldn't let you break your old man's record. Sorry, I couldn't <laughs> pay you that one. So Liam still claims he kicked 11. So I'm saying, no, mate, on the scoreboard, it's 10. You never beat me, you never knock me off. But Dave did come out later and say to Liam, yes, mate. Uh, sorry, mate, but I had to do it. You won't, you won't beat your old man. So yeah, I had a bit of the inside there, worked I'm um, going for me, uh,
1: Joey and Nick. So, yeah, it was a genuine stitcher.
4: Yeah, well, later, it's just a, and you're talking about umpires stitching you up. Um, there's, there's, there's one little scandal <laughs> that you can, uh, you can uh, go back on.
1: That is simply amazing. We might have to launch an investigation into that after this podcast, Joey. <laughs> I do want to, I just do want to finally ask you about, um, the end of 2017, um, when Liam was selected to tour Ireland and represent the Big B and yourself and the family all went over there. How'd you find that experience?
4: Oh, it was wonderful, Nick. You know, um, that's one another i mean i've been very fortunate enough to have many highlights in my life but uh yeah that was just wonderful and and just the people and the irish because you know we've got that great connection in ireland um with um my grandparents being um born there and uh i remember um liam uh, got interviewed by mark vine on the station um, um sen about the trip and uh it was quite funny um because so he explained that, you know, we went to Ireland and his grandparents came across on a boat as refugees. I said, Lee, we're not refugees. We're, <laughs> you know, they, <laughs> we, were, we were we're a new Australian coming across. But no, it was just the most wonderful, <laughs> wonderful experience. I mean, I, and not only that, but the, uh, like Liam said at the time, it was just lifelong uh, friendships and um, you know just the diversity and um, um, and just the mateship and and also him coming from a lower grade um, I, I we I just thought you know they might not think Liam was good enough but they just welcomed him with open arms and it was and then turning up late, you know going to Old Trinity the, uh, uh, the year after uh, he made so many friends there made his um his jump into A grade the year after even easier because of those connections and you know, the Tommy jobs and he uh, uh, um um, uh, oh, just, uh, all the names escape me. Um, but yeah, they were just they were, they were just wonderful, wonderful, wonderful times. Um, um and um, yeah. So it was, yeah, I just I just loved it. Uh, Nick uh, and Joey, just a uh, I I can't put it into words at times because I I, I look back on it it's like a, you know it was only yesterday you know where we're across and you were wonderful over there and you and, and that's where the amateurs are, are just brilliant. I mean. They give these experiences to young kids, which normally never ever could attain to, um, especially coming from the lower divisions. And uh, to get that experience for someone, it, it was it was it, it, it no doubt helped forge where he is at the moment. Um, that experience and it gave him the confidence that you know, uh, and and the people just disbelief in uh, in you. And and then those connections there. It's just a yeah, wonderful, wonderful, wonderful time. Uh, boys. It was just wonderful. Just in closing, I just want to, uh, we um, we also lost um, in 83-84, in um, we had the most wonderful coach, um, John Lindbon. And he um, he um, he was the best coach I ever had. And uh, I, I, I did an ode before he passed away and all the boys, um, I gave this after our 83-84 back-to-back um, Premiership, and I just want to read you out an ode I wrote to, about um, the Bloods and about John Limbon. Is, is that okay? Go for it.
0: Absolutely.
4: Yeah. So this is it. Was called the Bloods, and um, and this is how I started. It was arriving at Aquinas in 1983 on the bottom oval. John and me shaking my hand. So you work in a bank. Over there, son, you're on forty flank. He's chiselled like you, and he has a steely stare. I could read his mind. Killer beware. Bankers on plumbers, proddies on mix, running into hodgy or was that a ton of bricks? Get up, son, came the Lindbom spray, an early, an early lesson in you train as you play. Love the workers, especially the blue collars, loves the jumper and never the dollars. Hard but fair is your motto as coach, so I bought a truck and it helped my approach. Good wheels, you didn't shirk it, son. But don't give me gold when the game's won. 83 was special, but back-to-back greater. Wilco's granny, Do we celebrate later. Flights and Greer, safe as houses. And the Dutch-bite king on the lookout for spouses. Hodgie and Ford, no men tougher or mean. Wilco and Pancho, the best I've seen. Feast and Livo, a coach's delight. Anno, Jed and Damo, and those Dunlops on the right. Russell Orford and Plum, and what about Johnny Hicks? And old man Heffer, Aquinas' big Nick? John, you gave me confidence and belief to win. I played for you, John, and would never give in. A coach defines players and develops a great team. You're the best coach I ever had a player's dream. Love wheels. And that's a an ode to a, one of our greats, and I just want to make a special tribute to him, John Limbon. Uh, rest the soul and, and rest in peace to a great man as well.
0: Absolutely, Andy. A wonderful note, a touching note to finish on with you today. Thanks for joining us. Good luck with what lies in store for the rest of 2020 and hopefully we can catch up at the footy next year.
4: Absolutely. Uh, thanks, uh, Joey. Thanks, Nick. Uh, it's been a pleasure.
0: Nick, how good to chat to Andy Whelan about uh, the late 80s, that inaugural flag, and then in the 90s and his time at the Big V and playing alongside his great mate Mark Nama Wilson. One man who had the same privilege was Peter Wright. He's been around the footy club since day one, one of four Wright brothers to play for the club. He's had two sons play as well as two nephews who are also premiership players. The Wright name is synonymous with the Aquinas Footy Club, and Peter joins us now. Hello, Peter.
3: Uh, How are you going, Joey?
0: Very well, thanks. Um, I don't know where to start with you, Pete, because there's angles everywhere when it comes to the Aquinas Footy Club, and since day one, the right name has been down there. Can you tell us how you got involved back in
3: 1980, 81? Sure. uh, There was probably, um, say, 15 to 20 of us who were sort of around the local area, all ex-Aquinas students, and... um, uh, they were sort of gravitating to different local clubs and um, sort of the thought occurred to us that it was, was probably an opportunity if we, we, we got the resources together we could actually form a club and Aquinas was naturally going to be the base being our, being our old school.
0: I love the fact when I was doing some research in the week that the club boasted assets of $50 back in 1981. They had no players, no coaches, no trainers, no equipment, nowhere to play and train, but $50 that was donated by Chairman Con Hickey. It's amazing to think how far you've come in the last 40 years when that is how you started back
4: in 1980.
3: Absolutely. But I suppose it's also testimony to what enthusiasm is a very infectious thing and at that stage, we just had enough blokes at the right age. There was a void in their lives in terms of wanting to do something together. And um, by the end of our second season, we were probably leaving, uh, we we're probably leaving fifteen to twenty blokes out of our two side, um, who, as you would imagine, were quite strong at that level. And yeah, you're right. The um, with no resources, and we'd obviously were grateful that we had the support of Aquinas College as a as as our um, hub and as as the centre of our of our football club, if you like, you know we've been there ever since. It, it is amazing when you when you mention it like that.
0: The reasons behind the three colours: the green, the red, and the black. Was it just the school colours that you've just followed on with?
3: Uh yeah. Well, we we picked up we picked up the the school colours, and disparagingly, people used to sort of refer to us as the licorice all sorts. But they were the colours of the school. Somebody with a better memory than I will tell you the absolute genesis of how the design of the jumper all came together. But there'd always been a, a red and green um, within within the school colours and the black got thrown in as well. It might have been for some nefarious reason, like you know there might have been a clash with another local club or whatever. But it, it, that was just the way we, we picked it up and have um, run with it ever since. So what about for yourself, Pete,
0: on a playing point of view? Were you a regular starter in the seniors?
3: No, nah, no, I only, ever played one game in the ones One Ironically, game? I, yeah, yeah, no, I was, I was, I was no great chase as a footballer, but, um, I managed to play the game I played. I actually played with my three other brothers. So, um, we set a bit of a record there, which I don't know whether that's going to be broken or not. No, I, only, I didn't play that many games. Um, and then I've sort of just been involved in, in, various facets of the club ever since
1: i think he's downplaying himself a little bit here Sounds through (laughs) our research uh, when he was inducted peter as a life member in 1996 i found what was written about peter um, upon his induction Um, the oldest sibling of jared uh, tyler's worker right through the club's history has made a profound positive contribution to the lives of many young footballers and cricketers for over a quarter of a century but i need to confirm this He's a formidable political strategist and bracketed with this writer represent a duo akin to JFK Ooh. and Mel Coulson, although <laughs> the hairstyles Ray Martin has recently converted <laughs> his various talents into field umpiring after years of flag-waving between the posts. And like all jobs, he undertakes completes with aplomb. Now, just to ask the guys from Bullying Templestowe, what can you tell us about the guys from <laughs> Bulleen, Templestowe, Peter? <laughs>
3: <laughs> yeah, so that's a bit of an infamous story about a, a game at home one day where uh I can't even remember it might have been Glenn Whitehead, um had a shot for goal after the siren, which which I was you know, I've always had twenty twenty vision and I still recall that, that uh it went through the big sticks, but uh it turns out that there was uh, a lot of the opposition players and some of their supporters sort of down that end who begged to differ. It turned into something of a fracas after the siren um, and in the end unfortunately um, one of the field umpires who if my memory serves me correctly was a lady decided to overrule me so um, that (laughs) that that became a bit of an issue but um, I still had uh, several blokes on the field who swore black and blue to me that it was a goal but sometimes these things happen in the the heat (laughs) of the moment so um, it's probably best I leave it there.
1: And before we do move on from this great write-up, I just need to confirm whether hairstyle was more similar to Ray Martin or JFK back in the day. <laughs> yeah,
3: well, there's. Uh, I go away on a golf trip every year with about uh, 25 other past players. And um, because we've now reached the, the second half of our lives, the term tamperer gets floated around a bit um, rather disparagingly, and it's sort of been levelled at me from time to time. So uh, by that identification, it's probably closer to Ray Martin than JFK, but I'd still beg to (laughs) differ.
0: Now, Peter, in 2020, of course, a lot of people will remember this year for a lot of different reasons. Um, 1996, as Nick just mentioned, you, you had that great award bestowed upon you the club wins a premiership 12 months after losing a grand final replay the club also has the sad reality that they've lost one of their club greats uh through a tragic car accident take us back to your memories of that 12 months and and your dear friend mark what was that like living and breathing it every day
3: well it was i mean it was a tremendous year for the club obviously sort of bouncing back from the from the loss the year before and The year before, took a bit of bouncing back because as one of our past presidents reminded me the other day, the amateurs in their wisdom made a decision during the 95 season that uh, there would only be the promotion of the winning grand final team, which has sort of ran against the accepted protocol that that had happened for every other year. So we got beaten by a point um, in the 95 grand final. didn't go up, but luckily uh, the club bounced back really strongly. And um, it was a tremendous season and game, particularly for Wields, who you've already spoken to, because uh, he and Shane Livingston, although they both sat out the last quarter on the bench, they're the only two players in the history of our club to play in four senior premiership teams, um, which is a record that, that nobody has obviously matched at this point in time. Shane uh, also played his 300th game that that year. He became our longest serving player, and his brother, Jason... Kicked his hundredth goal, playing at full forward in the grand final that year as well. So there were so many great things that happened, but yes, the loss of Nama Mark Wilkinson was a was a, was a terrible shock to us all. Um, a best in Paris winner in '87. We're sort of we're compiling our greatest team ever um, over the coming months for a big function next season, and he will figure heavily in that side as well. And and it took a long time to get over that for all of us. But, you know, with the bad, there is the good. And the year itself was was, was just a tremendous year for the club.
0: I read um, a piece when his son, Tom, was uh, picked up by North Melbourne in the rookie draft uh, a few years ago about the club still has his number four jumper hanging up in a frame in the club rooms as a reminder of his impact around the footy club. Um, Pete, what was it like? I mean, what is it like now when when new people come to the footy club? Do they find out about the influence Mark had on the playing group back then in the... uh, Early nineties,
3: I think. I think if um, in in terms of that posterity, we probably do ourselves a little bit of a disservice um, in not being stronger in sort of pushing those parts of our history that you sort of alluded to there, Joey. But um, I, uh, I I think for, for you know for a quick look around the room, you you, you will see that um, our trophy cabinet, our honour board, March jumper, are all adorned there in pride of place. Um, And I think you will find that at next year's function when we celebrate the 40 years of our history that that will be front and center in terms of those key parts of what happened to the club in the early years. Now,
1: Pete, we have found out during this podcast Aquinas is certainly the family club. You've had 124 brothers and sisters, 25 fathers and sons and more recently fathers and daughters. I just want to ask you the joy that you've got out of watching your two sons and your two nephews play over the years.
3: They're the um, not intangible things, but they're they the parts that that are to me are just priceless. Because, uh, and I sh- probably shouldn't make this confession in this interview, but being a frustrated Essendon supporter, oh, um,
0: Pete.
3: <laughs> Pete. <laughs> <laughs> I, I probably shouldn't have mentioned it, but it, but it, but it, but it, but it's part of your motivation for your love of the game at a junior level. Because I'm um, uh, having lost a, a full year at Aquinas, we'd be concentrating on that even more than I will on the things that are not happening out at the old Windy Hill. But um, the joy you get from local footy to me um, is almost twice as good as it is at even a, at an AFL game because of your immediate involvement and personal involvement with the people all around you. So as you say, the opportunity to watch my sons play and my nephews play and my brothers still have played and all my close friends, and then the ability to just wave the flags or run the boundary or just have some level of involvement to me is the, the priceless part of junior footy that um, until you've experienced it for yourself, you don't really know what it's like.
0: And as we let you go, Pete, you just mentioned and talked about your boys and your nephews. You played with your, your brothers. Um, can you describe what the Aquinas Footy Club means to you, Pete?
3: It means um, a bigger part of, you know, with, with the exception of obviously your, your immediate family and and your, and and your extended family as well. Because I've been there since 1981, it's as big a part of my life as anything else, including your career. So, um, endlessly grateful for the opportunity of having been involved. And, um, I talk about it with pride particularly even though you know we're not a particularly old club. But um, the involvement is something that I'll always cherish and, um, and and I wouldn't have done it any other way for, for love nor money. It's it's just been a tremendous opportunity that I'm so grateful for.
0: Sounds like you love them more than you love the Essendon Footy Club, which for me is fantastic, <laughs>
3: Pete. <laughs> <laughs> it's
0: been an absolute pleasure having you join us on the Club in Focus podcast, mate. Take care and hopefully in lot, uh, 2021 we can see you at the footy.
3: Thanks a lot, mate.
0: Great to chat with Peter Wright. He's been around the footy club since day one. The name Wright's synonymous with the Aquinas Footy Club. Uh, his brothers have played there. His sons have played there. His nephews have played there. He's done just about all you can do at the Aquinas Footy Club. Nico, before you tell me some of the other great players, because we have spoken about a few already, that have come through the history of the Aquinas Footy Club, a little uh, tidbit that I found while doing some research this week. When you punch Aquinas College, into the Google Translate there, it sends you over to the college in Perth where there's over 100 listed VFL, AFL players who've come out of the school, including uh, Nat Fife. But when you punch in Aquinas College down here in Victoria, there's only two. And uh, they have played for Sydney and Hawthorne. they played in four consecutive grand finals. One of those was Nick Malczewski. Of course, in 2012, kicked those two fantastic goals to sink the Hawks. And then Liam Shields went and played in... All four I think all four of those grand finals. He's certainly a three time premiership player. Um, Liam Shields. So two successful AFL players to come out of the Aquinas College school. Um, I wonder if Aquinas will be just keeping an eye on what Liam Shields does with his career and whether they can try and lure him back post his AFL career. But uh, we'll worry about that in the not-too-distant future. What we need to talk about now are some of the great players that have come out of the old Collegians Association with the Aquinas College boys. And you have that list in front of you right now. That I do, as I mentioned earlier, and we have spoken about with some of our guests,
1: Marcello Tarulli, he won seven best and fairest in between 1988 and 2000, and he's far and above the most cap player um, in terms of games and in terms of best and fairest awards. Glenn Whitehead won it four times. Daniel Den Braba won it three times. Lockie Barnes, best on ground in last year's grand final with a scintillating display. He's won it three times and Mark Wilkinson, as we have discussed, he won it in the reserves in 1981 and then again in the seniors in 1987.
0: I know we've spoken at length already about Mark. Um, he is the only player in Aquinas' history to have won a reserves best and fairest, a senior best and fairest, a reserves premiership, a senior premiership, represent the Amos, the big V, and win a competition best and fairest. That is quite a CV. For that man, we spoke to Andy Whelan, and it shouldn't be brushed over—the fact that he's one of only two to have played in their first four senior premierships, which is absolutely outstanding. In the modern day, Nico, they've done this on social media, Aquinas, uh, because of obviously there's no footy, so they're just filling in some time. They've got some great content on their website. Notice they're doing some flashbacks. Uh, there's a fantastic bit of footage out on the Facebook page, which we might repost uh, throughout the week. But they've done. Recently, the best backline players for the senior men's team between 2010 and 2019. And throughout the rest of the year, I'm sure they'll do the midfield and the forwards. But these are the top 10. They had hundreds of responses come in via the Survey Monkey. I know you are a big fan of the Survey Monkey. That's what they run theirs through. So these are the top 10, from 10 down to 1. The best defenders of the last decade at Aquinas in number 10 is Damian Lord. He played 48 games over six seasons. Uh, Number nine, Michael Van Roy was named in the best 20 times from his 43 games uh, across that uh, period of time. Daniel D'Angelo played in 91 games, including the 2017 flag. Matty Prowse, two-time premiership player in at number seven. Michael O'Malley, he played 45 games across three seasons, including two flags in number six. Lockie McDonald, 131 games, as well as Russell Foster, 131 games. Uh, Russell, who's in four spot, also managed to find time to go forward and kick 18 goals. Uh, Alex Guthrie, 76 games. He's in third spot. Nick Morrison in second, 116 games. Club captain, 53 times in the best and 83 goals. Running halfback flanker, perhaps, 83 goals across the last decade. And in number one, you mentioned him just there, Lockie Barnes, 142 games across the last decade, two flags, club captain, 2015, 16, and 17, 67 times in the best and kicked 23 goals. They are the top 10 defenders of the last decade, as voted to by the Aquinas fans via Monkey, which is fantastic to see. And no doubt, Nego, in time, of this list of 10. Some of them will eventuate and become life members of the footy club. And I believe you've got a couple of those in front of you right now.
1: That I do. So we've, we've got 43 in total. John Ryan being the first life member of the club in 1991. Sean O'Loughlin, who we've spoken to, he was in 94. And obviously Peter Wright as well in the same year as Peter and Pat McCafferty. And Pat Ryan, who I assume, given the family affair that is Aquinas, is related to John, who was inducted in 91. More recently, Leon McKinnon, Robert Moran and Greg Toomey have been inducted. But in just less than 40 years, they've got 43 inductees, which just goes to show um, how many people have sacrificed time
0: and effort to be involved in this great club. Absolutely, Nico. Let's keep moving. Let's stay in the present day because the coach, the senior coach, who has won two out of the last three flags at Aquinas, rather two flags in the last three years, is Ash Nolte. He is about to join us. Fantastic to be talking all things the Aquinas Footy Club today on the Club in Focus podcast. Wouldn't be possible without the help and support of Mequacare. We've spent a lot of time, Nick, on the formative years of Aquinas in the 80s and the mid-90s. Let's fast forward to the modern day now, the present day, where in the last three home and away seasons, Aquinas has sat on top of the tree and the coach, playing coach, is Ash Nolte. He's been a part of two of those flags and he joins us now. Hello, Ash.
5: Hello, boys. How are we?
0: Very well, thanks. Very well. Can I take you back to the start of the 2017 pre-season when you take over the role? Did you know what you were walking into? Did you know the club and where it had been before you got into the hot seat?
5: Well, I did. I knew. Uh, I uh, obviously was back there throughout uh, my sort of early senior career, um, from sort of 17 through to 20. Um, I had a pretty good time. Um, playing at Aquinas and, uh, so I definitely knew what I was walking into, um, from a club perspective, uh, even though there was a whole lot of new faces. Um, but I probably didn't know what I was walking into as a, as a coach. I had no idea what I was doing, I guess. Was uh, definitely excited, um, for sure to get started and it was, uh, yeah, it was fantastic to, to get that opportunity back then.
0: Had it changed much, Ash, from the playing days, as you just mentioned, as a a late teenager, early 20s, to you coming back as a coach? I noted that uh, uh, through the research, there'd been multiple relegations, a couple of uh, preliminary final defeats, a grand final loss, player exoduses and a 21-year drought when you took over as coach. But the vibe around the place, had it changed much through the time between when you were playing and when you came back?
5: No, no. Probably you, you probably hit the nail on the head. It's probably just the personnel um, was probably the biggest change in terms of the um, you know the culture and the vibe. It's it's always been um, pretty prominent at the at the club. Um, at sort of the real close mateship um, and the close ties with the with the college has always sort of been ingrained. So there is definitely the personnel was the biggest change, um, you know, from a couple of the older guys who had been there back, uh, back when I was there, and then fast forwarding, you know, some close to ten years later, just uh, a whole lot of new faces, and, and then um, obviously getting back and introducing the under nineteens in the in the years just before, um, you know, gave us a whole lot of uh, new input from the school and the and the relationship from the from the college. So um, yeah, definitely it was more to do with the personnel, um, but. In terms of the uh, the values and the and the uh, and the great club that it is, that uh, that wasn't changing. That's for sure.
1: Ash, how do you look back on that first season as it unfolded? Uh, you took over the reins, but you're also playing. So you, you guys took out the Div Four flag, but you were also named best and fairest as well. Did it exceed all your expectations?
5: Oh, absolutely! Like you couldn't uh, write a better script, I guess, uh, for a first year and as a, as a coach and. As a player, I mean, I, I was very humbled to be able to um, to get the, the best and barest. Uh, the boys will give me a bit, a bit of grief that I reckon I was writing own, my own tickets, but um, the uh, no, it was, yeah, you, you just couldn't write a better script for it, boys. It was like you know to come out and win a grand final in the in the first year, and look, we had pretty high expectations from the start. Um, you know when we when we when we got there we wanted to implement a few things uh, between a few of the guys that I brought over from the previous club and we just wanted to be really positive about it and they'd been sort of um like you mentioned earlier just going down the grades a little bit in the last couple of years and we just wanted to get them to back to enjoying the footy and creating a little bit of hype and a little bit of expectations from them so to win the granny in the first year was just you know it definitely exceeded the expectations um but I'd be lying if I said that you know I, I didn't think we were capable from the very beginning. Uh, I really thought we were a red hot crack.
1: And how were the celebrations after the first of the two grand finals? You came up against North Brunswick, had a good win. Uh, how did you guys celebrate it all?
5: Yeah, well, the first one was um, the first one was probably uh, much more, I guess, enjoyable than the than the than the second. Probably just because you know you just it's just so exciting. It's such an exciting period of time and. Um, you know, it's just uh, I, I never actually won a, a premiership as a player either, so that was a big tick for myself. And um, the celebrations were definitely long and long overdue. And because we had the reserves win the win the flag as well, it was a big celebration for the club. And there was a lot of relief for the club and a lot of um, you know just happy to get to get um, you know, out of the division that we found ourselves in and, and start progressing a little bit more. So it just gave everyone a lot more belief and a lot more encouragement. So it was definitely a great celebration at the club. Um, we were able to go back to the school and really enjoy it back at the clubhouse. So everyone uh, kicked on well and truly. Mm-hmm.
1: So then you consolidated in Division 3 in 2018, but you've come out again in 2019 and you've taken down manningham Cobras by two points how does the 2019 flag for you sit compared to the 2017
5: oh well um just oh, comparatively it was uh the backstory of that is you know we unfortunately lost one of our uh, one of our young boys throughout the year who tragically passed sort of halfway through the year um in Tyson Noise, and um so I guess the 2019, whilst we you know, probably set out the season with a great expectation that we could do it, um, particularly after our strong finish of 2018, it was a very different motivation towards the end. For me, it was um, a, just a massive sense of relief and for the boys, um, I probably would say it, it echoed the same that we, we really had a strong message that we didn't want it to define them and define the season and we didn't want them to Think that they had to pull off a miracle to and and win this thing, you know, just because of what we'd sort of gone through. But uh, when we found ourselves in the granny and and we gave ourselves a chance, and it sort of all panned out that way. And Manningham were fantastic um, throughout the whole season and, and throughout that that grand final, they were immense. Um, and you know, just some really special efforts from a couple of our boys in particular, Lockie Barnes. You know, in that last quarter, just sort of really willed us over the line and. Um, yeah, I just, I couldn't be more prouder of our club on that day. Um, and it was an interesting time as well because it was a Sunday. So we got, I think we got changed for Sunday Granny, uh, quite late. And so the celebrations probably weren't as large as what the, uh, the previous were, but there was, and, and maybe that had a bit to do as well with just the overwhelming sense of relief. And, um, it sort of helped our club, um, a little bit, put a, a fair bit of stuff Behind us, and I don't know if the result. Otherwise, we would, 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 you know, we'd change that. But it was just a, it was a big end to a, um, to a uh, very very difficult year.
1: Can you tell us about? Because one of the the photo that came out, I suppose, from that grand final was the one where you're all standing, arm in arm, around the Premiership Cup after that grand final. Um, but it wasn't just the playing group; it was the entire club. You had the men and women, the volunteers, mm-hmm. everyone. Can you tell us about that moment? Because it's a really powerful photo.
5: Yeah, yeah. Um, well, look, I had the uh, I had the foresight of wanting to be able to do that. Um, you know, when all the when it when the result sort of went our way and, and it sort of stuck in the back of my mind that it was something that I'd like to do if if it did go um if it did go to plan on the day and uh, the whole reason is is that um, we we genuinely believe that we're building something very very special um, out our way in our little mud patch at Aquinas and um, and it it's just a club that's really built on a on a really deep connection of, of friendship and mates and you know there's family ties that go back so long and I know a lot of clubs probably share that but we've really drawn on it um, lately and, and the last couple of years and um, you know it, it just with all that we went through it really rocks it really rocks really the club you know wholeheartedly and it was the immediate reaction just to do that because, you know, it did affect the whole club and the whole club just rallied together. So it was not so much about the 22 who, you know, were able to play in that game and ultimately win the premiership. It was just for the club um, because so many people's lives were just invested in that whole year and it was a perfect little symbol. And, um, you know, we like to say that we're more than just a footy club. So that's a bit of our saying. And, um, yeah, it was just a it was just a, a final little symbol to, to be able to um, – you know, celebrate, celebrate, and reward our whole club as a as a whole.
1: Ash, how proud were you then to be named um, the division's coach of the year at the end of twenty nineteen for all you guys had been
5: through? Oh, um, no, it was the most. It was ultimately the most humbling thing, you know. Like um, for myself, uh, you know, Nick, when we talked about that at that night, uh, the awards night, you know obviously shocked, but um, in terms of being proud, I, I mean, I, I'm very rarely sort of, I guess, have a chance to be proud and like you, um, you're always looking at, you know, coach, you're always looking at the next thing or who you should be worrying about and you very get, rarely get to sort of have a reflection and stuff and um, that was probably just the, the, the one thing in um, in that year, I was just really um, proud of myself, is just how I probably dealt with the sense of adversity that you sort of go through when you're leading um, a club and, yeah, we we had the support um, around us, um, but I don't think it was necessarily about the result. I think um, the the result for me was just that, that we that we got through in, in one piece, and um, and yeah, I was just I was super proud of the boys and um, and how they sort of were able to to help me as well. So I think the, the award was just a really big symbol of um, the hard work and the and the love that we had throughout the whole. Throughout the whole uh, year, so yeah, I was absolutely, um, I was absolutely proud. You probably see it in my rambling speech, eh? Hey?
0: <laughs> Ash, on the the grand final itself, you you go into that game having beaten Manningham in the second semi final. At half time yep. you're trailing by uh, ten points, and then at three quarter time, you're trailing by three. And according to the um, the playbook that's on the AMO's website. 90 seconds in to the final term, you kick the goal that sends Aquinas ahead and then Manningham come back, hit the front and then uh, Michael Cardamoni kicks the goal to put you ahead and finish in front. What does a coach say at halftime when you're trailing by 10 points and then when you're only three points behind at three-quarter time? What are the words of wisdom you imparted on your group?
5: Yeah, well, I mean, I'd have to really sort of scratch my brain and remember it, but, uh, <laughs> you know, I was, I was obviously... Um, yeah, I, I do remember that there was uh, quite a big sentiment at the beginning of the game that you know we we're here now, so um, we've done we've done everything that we can we can ask for, so we're here now, so we may as well have a, a really good crack at it. I wanted the boys just to be themselves because um, throughout the whole year, you know, with all the challenges and things, that there's probably a little bit of a hold back um, mm. in terms of our sort of usual um, sort of uh, attacking play and sort of trying to create a little bit of dare and. Um, I didn't feel like we were doing that in the first half. You know, we're ultimately competitive, but, um, you know, we should, we're in there with a the sniff, but the biggest thing was that I just wanted them to be creative. Um, we needed to start to open the space. We, we felt like that was the, the biggest chance that we were going to have for that throughout the whole game against Manningham, it's just to, to try and use the space of Garvey Oval and try and use our pace. And I just had to, I had to remind them that we need to give that a crack and, um that they need to be a little bit more creative and they need to come out of their shells and if they want it then it's right there for them so um yeah you yeah, those were the those were the sentiments mate but in terms of word for word there was a Couple of uh, probably a couple more expletives in there, so it won't go down that path.
0: And what about what about the goal, Ash? I know you kicked two on the day, but it was it more sort of Chris Judd against uh, the Tigers a few years ago, where he just put them on my shoulders, boys, and come with me. Uh, when you kicked that goal, did you run
5: around saying that's how it's done, fellas? No, no, not quite, not quite. It was uh, it was probably one of my typical sort of uh, end over uh, wobbly drop punt <laughs> that probably just scraped yeah. inside the right point post and. Uh, had no chance probably came off the boot looking like no chance of going in and uh, somehow sort of whirled its way in but uh, look you know it was one of those times uh, I think I might have missed a couple just beforehand and thought you know i've got i gotta do something about this but look it, it went through it probably had more chance of missing boys but um at the end of the day it went through and that's the that's the story I'll go through that i <laughs> Uh, That's what I was intending
0: Yeah, fantastic, fantastic Now, we've mentioned the the two flags in the last three seasons Unfortunately, with everything going on this year We don't don't have a season But the club is certainly growing It's certainly building And next year, of course, hopefully We have a full season And I'm assuming the goals are again to finish inside the top four And just keep pushing towards those Premier sections
5: yeah, absolutely. Yeah, when I mean, we definitely had um we definitely had that goal at the very beginning. Um, I, I felt like the division, and you know, it probably still is going to be like that when we get a little, when it becomes a little bit more formal. It's going to be a very very tight division. Um, you know, it would have been a really good um, battle every single week. But look, we recruited quite well. Uh, we had some you know great relationships with uh, past players, and obviously, we've got a pretty wide network with our current playing group that. They've got you know a lot of a lot of different mates. We've got people from the school. We've got young kids who want to get involved in in the 19s. So we were looking really exciting, and um, yeah, I was, we were really excited for the season. And um, you know, even towards that middle part, we we when we were allowed to go back and do some um, restricted training and those kind of things, like we're again, we're really excited to hopefully get that season started. But look, it uh, hasn't happened, so we um, we go again and reset and. Looking forward to um, you know seeing all the boys' faces again, and everyone's just chopping at the bit, you know, to get through this last little bit of the restrictions and then hopefully get down the tra- get down the train track and start enjoying each other's uh, company again.
0: And we're just about to have a chat with Taylor Leslie from the women's side of things. Ash, during your time as coach, of course, the women's team has been created at Aquinas as the senior coach of this footy club. Uh, just how proud are you from where you came from, as you mentioned at the start, those formative years of your own career in the seniors, to now have you know, a successful reserve side, successful under-19s, a women's team with a dynamic that changes the whole culture. and It almost brings clubs together that don't have them and now they've experienced them themselves. Just as a whole, the whole Aquinas umbrella as the senior coach, how does that sit with you?
5: Oh, mate, it's just huge. Like, the amount of work at the club has done. Um Behind, um, you know, and I, I can't take much responsibility for that. There's a lot of people who do so much work for that, and I, I'm absolutely proud to be associated with the club and, and, and do my part. And, you know, we we've you know we've got juniors now, um, junior uh, junior women um, consuming and fantastic numbers in that. So then all of a sudden our our women's team is going to be um, you know hopefully fed from the development of those young girls as well and. It's just a huge, huge part of our club and we've always been an inclusive club. You know, like you said, it's a fantastic transition for any football club to to um, have women's, uh, women's footy involved and, yeah, I'm absolutely stoked. It's um, definitely definitely helped um, progress our club um, further and further and, uh, yeah, the excitement that happens every year when we start pre-season and stuff, it's just, it's just magnified. The excitement's just magnified because, you know, we've got over 100... 130 um, players on the list, and it's just yeah, it's just a, a, a great place to be involved with.
0: Well, Ash, your coaching record suggests you only win flags in odd years, 17 and 19. You're not very good in even years, 18 and 20. Of course, there's an asterisk next to 20, but we look forward to a flag in 2021 with the Aquinas yeah, boys thanks, under boys. yourself, Ash. Thanks for joining us.
5: No worries. Thank you very much, boys.
0: How good to hear from Ash nolte Nico, the senior coach of the Aquinas Footy Club, and we did just ask him about His thoughts on the fact that the club now under the umbrella has successful under-19s, successful reserves, successful seniors, but in the last couple of years they've also got a successful women's team and the inaugural women's captain is Taylor Leslie and she joins us now. Hello, Taylor.
6: Hi, thank you.
0: Thanks for joining us. Now, we've asked all our guests so far today where it all started for them with their footballing journey. Now, of course, some of them back in the 80s when Aquinas first started. For yourself a couple of years ago, when the girls' team was set up, who got you down to the footy club?
6: I went to Aquinas myself and my partner was actually a captain of the team and he was playing there and you watch everyone be a part of the club and you feel like you're sort of hanging around all the time but you're not really a part of it. And it wasn't until Jack McDonald, he has, three sisters and, you know, they've been a part of the club for their whole life and he was like, well, I need to get my sisters involved. (laughs) And yeah, so that's how it sort of started and we ended up with about 40 girls um, in the first year and we've, yeah, kept them ever since.
0: Did you know what to expect when you came down for the first night of training, Taylor?
6: Um, Not really. I mean, I'd probably only kicked a footy a handful of times before that you know there, there's always this idea of what footy is like when um boys talk about it but I didn't realize it would be what it was like you know these girls are now just your family there you're with mm-hmm. them a couple of nights of the week and we played our first practice match and we won and it was that day was literally like the best thing that's ever happened. Like in, that moment, in that moment, I don't know, it was a practice match and we literally thought we'd won a grand final.
1: Well, you've had your, so you've had your first win in a practice match. Uh, a couple of weeks later, round one of 2018, you lost to Canterbury, but you didn't take long to notch your first win in the proper competition and you won round two versus Yarra Old Grammarians out at Aquinas. Do you remember that game?
6: Yeah, I think it was Um, it was actually, it was a really wet game and it was disgusting, but at the time it, nothing really mattered besides just being out there and it was just fun. Everything about it is so much fun.
0: So, Taylor, when you come down and, and you just talked about a couple of wins, what are your goals there? Because you then get told or voted that you're the captain of the inaugural women's team. You're In fact, you're a co-captain in the first year and a single captain on your own in 2019. When, what's that like? How does that sit with you when, you know, four months earlier, you're doing your first pre-season training?
6: Um, I mean, at the time, you know, we you, were more sort of worried just about playing and getting out there and getting a feel for it uh, that was really what our first year was about and I think it's not really until now that I reflect on what it was like to be the captain that you know it was such an important role but at the time I not that it didn't matter but it was not about being a captain it was about being a part of the team and the club culture which was yeah which is more important, I think, and just getting out there and having a go.
0: And now that we're in this current situation of the world and you've had a couple of seasons at playing footy, how much are you missing it in 2020?
6: Oh my God, so much. One of the girls has been really great. She um, is doing online PT sessions, so we're all trying to keep our fitness up uh, and the coaches have uh, re-signed for next year, which is really good. Um, but I think now it's more about, you know, we've had those two years to find our feet and, you know, develop our skills and and really build a team, but now it's about seeing what we can do from here and how far we can really take it.
1: And Taylor, you sound like the, the women's team sounds like a really close knit group and earlier this year you guys competed in run for MS Research and you raised thousands and thousands of dollars. What can you tell us about that?
6: One of the girls was affected by it and um, especially at the start of all of the pandemic we were trying to find ways to stay connected um, and just support each other really through it and so yeah we decided to run and that's what we did some people were running together as much as we could but yeah as I said before it's such a family and everyone just looks after each other and just such a great culture
1: to be around, Taylor. I do need to ask you about your own performances. Um, clearly, a defender from what we the research that we we have done. But in 26 games as captain, as we've said, you haven't kicked a goal yet. Is there any is there any chance that the coach is just going to grab their favourite captain and just put him in the forward line at the end of one game potentially, so you can, you can kick your first goal? Yeah, I
6: I have asked so many times. I played the back one, but there was, I have to tell you, there was this one game and I wasn't even aiming for the goal, but it was in the very first year and I absolutely smacked the ball. I was just trying to get it to the top of the square and it just, everyone was screaming because they thought I'd kick my first goal, but it just went over into the point. I don't know. Who knows? It's, you know, I'd love to, but... If it's not my time, it's not my time. There's plenty of other
0: games that can do that. Taylor, what does the coach say when you ask? Uh, He says, no, just
6: stick to the back
0: line. (laughs) (laughs) Taylor, just as we let you go, Nick did mention you've played in the 26 games and you've experienced a few wins along the way. Is there one that would stick out if you're asked to think about it right now? Um.
6: Not so much a win, but the last game that we played, and this is probably one of the only, the reason that I'm going to go back and play next year, but our very last game that we played, we needed to win to make it into the finals, and we had the best third quarter we've ever had, and I think we kicked like two or three goals, and at this we came into the fourth quarter, and at the very start, two girls, um, had a head clash, knocked each other out, and that was the end of the game because there's no time on in women's footy. You know, we just waited to get them off the field and the siren went and that was it. And um, it was a bittersweet ending because, you know, we couldn't finish, we couldn't win and we missed out on finals. Mm-hmm. So that's probably my that's my last memory. Um, and, yeah, that's why I want to keep going back because of how I felt at that time, I guess. As
1: you said, a bittersweet end to your season. Um, Did all the girls get around the boys? Obviously, they've had a very successful run over the past couple of years, two flags, particularly last year's was quite an emotional flag.
6: Yeah, yeah, definitely. I think that's something that's so great about the club is that there's this really strong bond and a culture that, you know, it doesn't matter if we're the women's team or whoever you are, everyone's a part of it and everyone gets down and supports them just uh, supports the boys just as much they come and support
0: us when they can. Taylor, it's been awesome to chat with you about the last couple of seasons. Hopefully there is a full season in 2021. We look forward to watching Aquinas play and following your progress and keep us posted when you kick that goal. Uh, We'll make sure it's all over vaffa.com.au. Thanks for joining us. Thank you. I will let you know. <laughs> <laughs> Big edition, Nico, of the Club in Focus podcast. All thanks to Mequicare, five of the best, Sean O'Loughlin, Andy Wheel, and Peter Wright, Ash Nolte and finishing with Taylor Leslie. Before we do wrap it up, I do just want to mention it's been discussed at length throughout this podcast. they oval being the way it is. It's a bit of a mud pit, bit of a swamp. A few things have been there. I've played at Aquinas uh, a couple of times and, they are spot on. I've never left without a bit of mud in every part of my body on that ground. I do. I did tell you this throughout the week that when I was driving out there, no problem getting to the school, but finding the oval once I got there was just a nightmare, a total nightmare. Yeah. It's like a maze, and I know people struggle to get out to the snake pit here in Essendon, but boy, oh, boy, is it tough to find the oval at Aquinas, Nico. Oh,
1: that is so rich coming from a St. Bernard, boy, <laughs> let me tell you. <laughs>
0: Nico, thank you for all your help throughout this edition. It's been fantastic to go down memory lane with the Bloods. They celebrate 40 years next year, and hopefully we do get permission to have footy back, to have functions back so they can celebrate in style. A magnificent club talking all things Aquinas. Today, of course, there is still time throughout this year to reach out like Jack did at Aquinas to nick at vaffer.com.au, and we can put your club In focus, we love doing it. We love going down memory lane and celebrating the history of the past and looking into the future. Thank you very much, Nico. Thank you, Joseph. Yeah, fantastic edition this week. Had a lot of fun, and I think the
1: standout story for mine come from Sean O'Loughlin when he was uh, taking credit for the one goal of the seventeen that was kicked between him and the full forward. (laughs) But it's been a lot of fun. All the guests were fantastic, and thank you again for being as amazing as you are.
0: You are far too very kind. We look forward to bringing you another edition of the Club in Focus podcast very soon.